0: Welcome to this month's Better Late Than Never Baltic Triangle podcast with me, Mick Ord.
1: And me, Mark Reeson.
0: In this month's episode, number 26, we're looking at how two Merseyside-based organisations are doing their bit to reduce plastic pollution.
1: Yes, indeed. 26, eh, Mick? We'll be hearing from a businessman who's been in the construction industry for more than 30 years and who's ultimately hoping to eradicate plastics from the building industry completely.
2: You can't afford to dismiss plastic. I'm not saying that people are, but they're not giving it enough attention. To produce one kilogram of plastic takes, roughly speaking, three kilograms of carbon. So it's three to one ratio. So then if I tell you that plastic production is due to triple by 2050, therein lies the problem. So how are we gonna achieve carbon neutrality if we're looking at a plastic production increase of three by 2050?
0: And we hear from an organisation who've been building machines, creating products and running workshops based around reusing plastic.
3: Our work is really about connecting in at a really small scale, low level with people into the material and what we can do with it uh, as a way of of building confidence and building community
0: this is a big theme for today, isn't it? Plastic pollution and recycling plastic and reusing plastic, isn't it? And it's becoming, with the United Nations Conference in Glasgow later this year, it's going to be a big story this year. So I'm I'm glad we're covering uh, these two organisations in this podcast, Mark.
1: We've got two very different stories, and and I know there's a really interesting background to your story in particular, Mick, what prompted the guy to do this in the first place. But I think the the interesting thing for me about this episode is that the two stories are coming to this potential issue from very different angles.
0: Yeah, they are. I mean, mean, Neil's personal story is amazing. Going to the Arctic for a kind of bucket list trip and coming back, talk about a a St. Paul-like conversion. I mean, he's now given up his his business, and he's devoting all his time to to changing streams. But we'll get on that a bit later. But I was interested, uh, I I think people will be interested uh, in what Arthur has to say, the guy you've spoken to, because it's something that families can do every single day, isn't it? How they can reuse some of their plastic.
1: Arthur's aim is to connect people with the plastic material itself and take personal responsibility for it, which is a very interesting take on the issue itself.
0: Yeah, and we'll be hearing from Arthur in a couple of minutes. Well, Neil Maxwell is no tree-hugging, woolly sweater-wearing, walking cliché. He's been in the office-fitting business for more than 30 years and built up his company, Aztec Interiors in Liverpool, into the success it is today. But now he's given all that up and is devoting 100% of his working time and much of his leisure time too, it must be said, to Changing Streams, a community interest company based in the city. Their aim? Nothing less than the eradication of plastic from the second biggest user of plastic after the packaging industry, the building sector. Virtually everything they use contains either plastic or is packaged in plastic, from paint to cladding panels, pipes, gutters, floor covering, wall linings, you name it, even chewing gum. With the help of academics from the University of Liverpool and like-minded professionals, Neil has built up changing streams to raise awareness and instigate much-needed research into finding alternative materials to plastic. This follows a life-changing trip Neil made to the Arctic Circle four years ago, when he witnessed at first hand the damage caused by microplastics to our oceans and our wildlife. And Neil is hoping to attend this year's United Nations Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, COP26. Neil? takes up the story.
2: We developed a a charter um, and that charter is kind of a commitment to reduce your plastic footprint. Our idea is to circumnavigate the contractors to a certain extent by working with pension funds of this world, the housing associations, governments and anybody with big assets that have got that control in what's happening. So in terms of the public sector, we're in a very early discussions with the government to look at ways that we might be able to get our charter mandated so that becomes an official accreditation in the marketplace. If that's done, that, that becomes a game changer because essentially that is then a badge um, that you have to have and have to wear and have to abide by and commit to reducing your plastic footprints. And if you don't have that certificate, well, then you're not on the tender list. And so that drives change from the top down. That's a cascade effect. So in the same sense, we want pension funds, um, housing associations, and again, anyone with big assets in the private sector to do the same thing by embedding the charter within their employer's requirement documents. So just to explain what that means, it, it, it's kind of when when a client is looking at uh, developing a scheme, um, they will have a set of requirements that they want to ha- you know, meet. So the scheme will be, if it's a residential block, it might be, or we want to build um, an eight-storey residential block that should be X, Y, and Z criteria, this is performance And we want it to be designed in such a way that reduces plastic. Um, We identify ways that it can reduce plastic used within the project to make it a cleaner, greener solution. It's kind of if you like the build back better program. So that 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 charter would be embedded in the client requirement documents, and then that is then a commitment by that client, by that pension fund, by that housing association, to. Work with the supply chain, work with their architects and design team, work with the contractors, work with the manufacturers, work with anybody that's involved in that process to look at ways of reducing the plastic use and our plastic reliance. Um, we're human after all, Mick, because a lot of stuff we do in everyday life is kind of habitual. Um, we we yes. just, yes. because we've always done it. Um, you're old enough as, as I am to remember clunk click every trip <laughs> um, with the seatbelts. I mean, some younger, some of your our younger audience would never have heard of that, but um, I remember when the seatbelt came in and everyone said, well, we have to, you, it's, it's against the law not to wear it. And it was a bit, it was, it was that clunk click every trip that you had to remember to put it on because if you didn't have it on, you were going to get fined by the police. So this is, this is, Kind of breaking our habits. So part of our work is kind of around the educational and the behavioral changes that are needed in this. So part of the work will include workshops and a series of webinars and roundtables and discussions to embrace the discussion, basically, and encourage it debate. We know it's not going to be easy. Nothing good is ever easy. So we have to embrace those objections. We have to understand where the barriers are. What are the reasons for not choosing this? And sometimes it's case of people might just say, do you know what? I never even thought about that. Or an architect would tell you, he would say, I'd just go to the MBS system, which is a national building specification, which is where most people go for specification of material selection. And he would just pull off whatever met met the criteria of the job. Roof has to be this, linings have to be that, insulation has to be there. He never really looked at the material and what it was made of. So that's kind of where we need to make a wake up call and just make people aware that start thinking differently start looking at what you're selecting and why you're selecting it.
0: Yeah, what's the reaction of your professionals, of your building professionals, your architects, your surveyors? Even you said you're you you know, you're, you're trying to get initial discussions with the government. Do they just look at you askance or do they understand that they've got to do something?
2: I'm pushing on an open door with this, to be honest with you. Part of this is future-proofing their business, remember, if they continue to work in a in way that they always have done, then their the business is at risk because they've got to respond to the green agenda. Um, and it would be an absolute travesty if we wasted uh, the opportunity that's been presented to us through the crisis that has been COVID because that's presented us with, with, with time to reconsider our place on this planet and it's given us time to reconsider and reconnect with nature massively so and it would be a travesty if we didn't use that and um, if we wasted that and didn't take advantage of this, this timing right now it's never been better
0: so um in terms of the partners the business partners that you've engaged so far just talk us through who some of them are and what they're pledging to do maybe what they are doing
2: Yeah. Okay. Well. So. So we've launched the membership scheme, which has been quite successful so far, and that will continue to grow. We've launched workshops. We've launched quite a series of other initiatives that we're working on now. I'm I'm quite happy to talk about your housing group. They've become an active member, and they want to drive real change in their business. They're a 250 million pound organisation with plans to build god knows how many houses over the next over the coming years but you know got big plans and a very well respected one of the largest housing associations and the best housing associations in in the country um they've they've committed to working with us on both projects and we are now looking at different ways of doing that so that might look like a full research piece which can cost upwards of from 200 two hundred thousand pounds right the way down to small bite-sized consultancy pieces which will feed into research um, just to understand the dynamics collection of data uh, how materials are selected how waste is procured and disposed of etc and those sorts of so anything from 15, 20,000 pounds upwards, basically. So they're, they're looking at different ways that we can work together. And again, it's about a collaboration effort. This is not about us cracking a whip and say, you must do this. This is again, us working with the clients working with their contractors, working with their supply chains, and not being disruptive, because the last thing we want to do is disrupt a business. What we want to do is help them to become better
0: people, better businesses. You're also working with the Baltic Creative Quarter as well, aren't you? They've just come on board.
2: Yeah, yeah, we're absolutely really excited about that. Baltic Creative, a great organisation. Um, the Baltic Quarters become a really successful part of Liverpool, which I'm really excited about. And Mark Law has done a crack a cracking job over there. Um, so that houses, I don't know how many businesses now. Mickey, you probably know better than me. Um, well, 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 there's a couple of
0: hundred businesses. I think. Yeah,
2: yeah. So they've 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 come on board to work with us to reduce their pla- uh, plastic footprints, not only uh, in their business but in with across uh, all their businesses within that quarter. So that's a massive statement. That's a real commitment, and it, it's it's fantastic to have mark and his team on board doing this because that that's a you know de- demonstrating their commitment to be being a,
0: a part of the green agenda you know they, they, they are they're voting with their feet so for small businesses in the merseyside area even for large organizations if they want to find out more about changing streams how do they go about it and what can they do
2: um, yeah, good question. The, well, first and foremost, I'd say go to the website, have a look around. That you'll know, see everything from history through to our team. Have a look at the team, look at the dynamics, look at the people that are involved, and that's growing as well. Look at what we the, the, some of the news pieces. Maybe that might be of interest to some people. The memberships are the, is the area that we I'd like to draw you know really push because that's an area which. You know we're developing now fairly strongly. Membership levels, I think it's from 250 pound right the way through to seven and a half thousand pound plus fat, depending on the size or of your company, and that's based on turnover. So um, your housing group, of course, are in that £7,500 bracket. But we have other uh, organisations. Baltic are slightly smaller. Um, We've got Box Clever Consulting who are are on board. Uh, They're slightly smaller. They're a bunch of project managers doing some great work with some big clients that are committing to reduce the plastic footprints. We've brought Arab on board. Arab Liverpool, one of the largest infrastructure organizations on the globe. Arab Liverpool have agreed to work with us as a research partner to develop a strategy around reduction of plastics that we're hoping to direct towards Tier One contractors. And if that goes live locally or in the UK, it could reach the whole of the globe because they operate in over ninety countries around the world. So wow. that's It's a big play for us.
0: And what about the government, Neil? You mentioned that you were in early stages of discussions with the government. Where are you on that? Just talk a little bit about that, if you would.
2: Well, we're we're talking with the City of London at the moment, who the City of London basically look after everything that happens in the square mile. Um, They've got a big waste issue down there at the moment, like anywhere, you know, and they're looking at ways to reduce that. They're obviously well advanced on the carbon reduction initiatives. But one of the areas now that they're looking at is how to reduce plastic, and a lot of people, and they included, talk originally about SUPs, single-use plastic. Quite frankly, I think that's the worst way to describe it, because I think it, it should be reclassified uh, as hazardous waste. Uh, because by calling it single-use plastic suggests it's okay to use it once and then we can throw it away well there's no way because plastic stays in our system for anything from 400 to a thousand years and it will continue to pollute us so there's no throw it away so they're, they're very much in tune with what we're doing and they want to work extend the plastic reduction strategy to encompass all plastic rather than just the SUPs. So we're looking at a couple of projects with them, one in Finsbury Square, one on Fleet Street. And we're hoping to work with them on a few initiatives as a kind of partnership, I think, looking at how we might be able to embed our charter within the planning process, so it becomes a condition of planning that you commit to reducing your plastic footprints right, on everything right. that they do. So nothing happens in the city without their say so, without uh, their authorization. Um, but as everything else in this country at the moment they've suffered cutbacks recently certainly since COVID and the original six person team that we were talking to down there has now reduced to two or three I think so um, they're very much under the cosh down there but uh, they're really still interested we are still in discussions with them but it just may take a little bit longer to um, get that off the ground Um, but
0: they're very much aware of what we're doing and Neil, what's your view of recycling plastic? Because we're hearing now fair, fair amount in the news about plants being set up, companies being set up to recycle plastic, so to use it again and again.
2: I think recycling has got a part to play in this space. Let me put it this way. We've got at the moment, if I can describe it like this, we've got an ocean at the moment, or oceans around the world, that are like chicken sweet corn soup so quite watery few bits of plastic in quite a lot actually which is polluting our our soup and the recycling will help delay that stuff eventually getting in there and it will divert some of the stuff going in there ultimately recycling won't fix it it won't stop the production of plastic so recycling is good to, to a point to stop the plastic that we can that can be recycled from hopefully entering the oceans or just ending up on landfill yeah the worry that i've got and a lot of people have got in this space is that out of all the plastic that can be recycled around the globe the reality is only nine percent of it is actually recycled um so just like that sink in nine percent so that leaves 93 percent. that's not why is that not working well i'll tell you because the processes aren't uniform the, the consistency of processes the plants the infrastructure the labeling there's so many problems with recycling because there's i don't know there's numerous different types of plastic who knows what plastic goes where if i asked you mick what, if if I give you a plastic milk bottle, would you know which type of plastic that was? No,
0: um, no, of course uh, not.
2: Exactly. So is the top made of something different? It is. Is is the you know sealer made from something different? Is the labeling made made of something different? It's all it's all very complicated. There's no clear labeling, and that word "widely recycled." Check with your local plants. People haven't got time to do that. People. Don't want to be looking up um, on the council website, wherever they are in the world, can my local recycle plant recycle this particular plastic? First of all, I've got to Google it and find out what plastic it is. Then I've got to find out whether the plant can take it. And then I've got to put it in the right bin.
0: Yeah, so that's not a practical Long-term solution is what you're saying, isn't it? Really, it's it's a
2: good short-term solution. If well, if we can find ways to make that work, I very much support it. But it's it's not an ideal solution, and the reality as well is also that most plastics um, can only be recycled a maximum of three times. Because of the chemical composition, because eventually the chemicals, um, and I'm not the expert in this, I'll leave it to our chemists within the team to talk in more detail about this. But I understand that the chemical composition, the 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 the, the atomic makeup of plastic uh, breaks down, so it doesn't reconnect. So ultimately, um, you can't keep recycling plastic, you can only recycle it two or three times and that's it so effectively all you're doing is kicking the ball down the street because eventually it will end up in the ocean or landfill
0: yeah so so neil where would you where would you want us to be in five years time um changing streams has been going for what three years now is it you've got some big partners on board i gather you've got negotiations ongoing with some even bigger partners um but where would you want to be in five years' time? If I, that's, that's a really good question.
2: I wish uh, I wish I had a crystal ball. So in five years' time, I'd like to be in a position where I'm talking to you about uh, the success we've had in the UK, uh, as we're, has been so good that we've now um, used that as a springboard to uh, develop strategies around the globe, which we already are doing anyway, but that's going to be a slow process. So for the charter to be mandated by governments, to be an accepted accreditation industry-wide, to have our um, charter embedded into the requirement documents of every pension fund and every housing association so we can see a real change and i'd like to have data then by that point we'll we'd hopefully have done Significant amounts of research and collected significant amounts of data that we can then dem- demonstrate the trends and the reversal, the reverse trend that we've driven because of our plastic reduction initiatives, and how that's impacted positively the environment. Right. One of our drivers this year, Mick, is to um, to bring the plastic question into the equation of the carbon zero uh, initiative, because. I don't I don't believe you'll you'll ever get to carbon neutrality or carbon zero unless you bring plastic into the equation you can't afford to dismiss plastic I'm not saying that people are but they're not giving it enough attention to produce one kilogram of plastic takes roughly speaking three kilograms of carbon so it's three three to one ratio so then if I tell you that plastic production is due to triple by 2050. Therein lies the problem. So how are we going to achieve carbon neutrality if we're looking at a plastic production increase of three by 2050? Yes. It ain't going to happen. So you, we have to bring the, the, the plastic question into the equation because if we don't, we'll fall well behind of our carbon. Well, we won't even achieve our carbon goals.
0: A bit later this year, we've got COP26. Yeah. Are you confident that Plastic will be on the agenda there? Have you got any plans to speak to any of the people taking part in that?
2: Well, we're hoping to take part in it. It's early days for us at the moment, but the university are really keen to take part in that. And we're in discussions with the university of how we can be part of that programme up there because it's a series of events and conferences uh, bringing the climate leaders from around the world and global leaders to talk about the climate uh, and the climate crisis. So hopefully we'll, we'll drive the plastic agenda. I'm sure it'll be on it anyway because there's lots of other people around the world doing some great stuff. Our aim is to ultimately work at reducing the plastic production and finding different ways and different solutions and different materials that we can use that meet the same performance criteria at the same cost point, at the same price point. So we're seeing things like mushroom now being used, mycelium. Um, we're seeing hemp being used. So the, these sorts of things are coming out now and some some pretty Really, really clever people around the world doing some great stuff with some fantastic uh, materials. I'm talking to a client at the moment who's a a farmer, believe it or not. He grows the second fastest growing grass in the world, which is called elephant grass or miscanthus. And um, that's second fastest only to bamboo. But it traps carbon. And at the moment, the sad thing is that that grass is being grown to use for incineration for energy, waste to energy, or incineration, you think, well, isn't that mad? Because one of the things that incineration plants can't do is scrub out the carbon dioxide when they're cleaning, when they're burning stuff. You've You've got grasses there that have been grown to trap carbon, then they're being burned to release that carbon back into the atmosphere. It doesn't make sense. So they've developed a series of solutions with and created some building blocks, like a breeze block. They've, they're also looking at insulation, you know, between walls to give you, you know, heat and warmth. Just some really, really fascinating stuff, fascinating materials and fascinating businesses doing some great stuff out there. And these are the people now that we want to attract and we want to talk with those people and see what they're doing and try and help them to build on that and to see what the impacts are and to see how we can maybe develop that strategy to build their business and to grow
0: that product and develop that product well let's hope some of them are listening to this podcast and we'll be in touch and uh, i mean we're asking them to to log on to the changing streams website find out more and get in touch with you neil yeah
2: yes absolutely mick yeah yeah
1: Fascinating stuff there, Mick. Uh, really interesting to see Neil's take on um, on things with regards to a sector he knows very well by the sound of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. And when he talks about this trip he made to the Arctic Circle, and he's told it to me loads of times, I'm still thinking, wow, it's, it's really uh, inspiring to meet someone that has actually um, been changed by something as... As radical as that and he's actually doing something about it I mean he's absolutely passionate as are all his team and uh, they've had a fair amount of publicity over the past couple of years and um, they've got some big partners lined up they've 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 already had big partners joining them from the construction sector and there's definitely going to be more so kind of watch this space we'll give out the um, the website address of changing streams a little bit later
1: so make it would seem like an appropriate point in this podcast to, uh, to give a little mention to our friends at uh, Baltic Broadband.
0: Yes, uh, Baltic Broadband, um, thanks a lot to them for, for backing us in our podcast, the Baltic Triangle podcast. Uh, Baltic Broadband is a British business based on, or not far from Jamaica Street in Liverpool, and they're very much uh, about better business broadband. They only do broadband for businesses, and they do it really, really well. And they focus on broadband and networks and that all. They employ local people in the Liverpool city region, and it benefits the whole economy. They offer customers a 24-7 support from their engineers, again based in Liverpool city centre. And they saw 75% of their procurement locally from small to medium-sized enterprises. We'll tell you a little bit more about Baltic broadband a little bit later after we've heard from your guest, Mark.
1: Well, I went along, Mick, this episode to meet Arthur Rowland of Plastic Tactics to find out a little bit about his community based workshops aimed at connecting people with plastic on a personal level. Arthur and his team have been giving them the opportunity to create products for themselves from waste plastics. And I started out by asking Arthur how the ambitious plans for reusing plastics began to take shape.
3: So, Plastic Tactics came about in mid 2018. Um, me and a couple of friends came across this uh, international project called Precious Plastic, and they developed and released a, a set of designs for plastic recycling machinery at a very small, very accessible scale. Um, we saw what they'd done and thought, yeah, we we could really apply that locally in Liverpool. Um, and over the past couple of years, we've basically built on that theme. Um, building machines developing products developing workshops and now we're a sort of events and community organization aiming to give people adventurous experiences uh, with plastic often their own plastic um, but also stuff that we collect ourselves
1: there's a lot of talk about plastics in in the media and across society as a whole i mean you think about plastics in a slightly different way though don't you
3: yeah, so we, we just see plastic as a material like any other, and we sort of sidestep um, talk of, of issues just to think about, you know, what can we do here today with the plastic that's to hand? So that's the work that we do is around enabling people to make their own things and grow their confidence, grow the connection to the community and sort um, of be able to solve our own problems as, as a collective. And that's sort of the philosophy behind it is, is around what can we do right now with what's to hand?
1: Talk to me a little bit about the name, Plastic Tactics. Is there, a, is there a meaning behind the name?
3: So the tactics part of it is really about action and achievable small things that we can do in the here and now um, to work around plastic and do and do things for ourselves. So it's, you know, it's set in, not, not quite in opposition, but it's, it's deliberately not a strategic organisation. It's not a think tank. It's not producing reports, um, which is all valuable stuff, but... It, done you know done much better by other people than us our work is really about connecting in at a really small scale low level with people into the material and what we can do with it uh, as a way of sort of building confidence and building community
1: so with that in mind then what's your focus on at the moment
3: so you've you've caught us at a sort of pivotal moment where we're waiting to hear back on some funding for the what we call the plastic playground so We've been running a a series of fortnightly workshops called the Plastic Play Group out of a venue called Does Liverpool, which is off London Road in Liverpool. Um, And that's a a sort of a maker space and co-working space where we've been reworking plastic. You know, every couple of weeks, we'll get together on a Sunday afternoon. It's a free, publicly available session to to see what we can do with it and inspire each other in, in doing stuff with this material. And the Plastic Playground is a... Is the next stage really? So, it would really give us so much more scope if we had a permanent or semi permanent space with all dedicated plastic recycling machines, some of which we've built and are in our, in our workshop in town, and some of which are, we'd like to buy for the plastic playground. The concept behind the plastic playground is that it's a converted shipping container, uh, currently based sort of in the Wavertree Picton area, and we're basically going to insulate that and kit it out with all sorts of machines and then start. Making stuff, basically.
1: So that's an interesting way of of, of of approaching it. Then, really, I mean, plastic in itself is a very tactile thing, isn't it? When you get it in your hands and start making things with it. So, how do you think then, that by getting people involved with plastic, that it's going to make a difference the way they think about plastic?
3: This one's based out of my own experience, really, um, not just around plastic, but working with with any material. The more you make things, and the more that you work with things, the more you connect into the wider system you know where's where's this material coming from how is it turned into things how is it where does it go after i'm done with it and all these sorts of questions you start to connect in quite a profound way once you're actually doing stuff yourself and you can also solve a lot of your own problems and you don't have to sort of pop up pop out to the shop necessarily to 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 buy something to put something up on the wall or to make your own little decoration or to make a gift. You know, a lot of what what we do is gifts, um, but also very practical things like plant pots, clothes pegs, notebooks. And being able to make these things yourself sort of in community with other people uh, is just a very... I find it a very compelling process.
1: Talk to me about the the notebooks that you've been making. I mean, obviously describe them uh, for, for, for our listeners. Talk to me a little about some of the process that, that goes into, into, into making something like that as a product.
3: Yeah, so this is one of our more straightforward products. It uses quite simple processes. Um, to walk you through it, it's a, you know, it's a notebook, a refillable notebook with the front and the back made from sheets of recycled plastic. And the way that we do that is to, to collect plastic. So this happens to be offcuts from the Does Liverpool Visor project back in um, around this time last year, during the, the early stages of the pandemic that were very confusing. Um, and there was some waste generated off, off that process, which we've taken, we've shredded it up into small flakes. We've put those flakes into a, what was called a heat press, which basically just melts the plastic and creates this flat sheet and then we take that sheet uh, in this instance we put it through a laser cutter which cuts out the shape for the notebook binding and we put it all together
1: and The product itself is fantastic it's, it's a really nice product, it looks like it's very high-end design and it's a really nice little bespoke product. I mean, if that's just an example of the kind of thing that you'll be producing, I I think it's a really classy product and I, personally, I can't wait to see something like that start to be more more marketed and more more available.
3: Yeah, as you say, it's just just one example. This was um, born out of a workshop that I was developing around um, early January, February 2020 and it's as you say it's just one of many things that people can come and make so it's the idea is that you come and make something that that you'll use we've had people at the plastic play group making waterproof laptop covers for their for their laptops um we've had people making or attempting to make sort of polytunnel covers you know some quite ambitious stuff but right down to earrings as gifts and you know simple notebooks and uh there's a whole whole range of things that you can make
1: You've briefly mentioned there the pandemic. Uh, how has the pandemic affected you and, 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 and your uh, social enterprise?
3: So plastic tactics has the the community element which I've talked quite a lot about here, and it also has a sort of commercial arm which is aimed to fund all of this community work that we do, and that that commercial stuff is events, so we'd go to a to a company to an event um, and deliver. Engaging, adventurous plastic workshops for well for anyone who wants to get involved. So we prototyped this idea at Africa Oye. That was, I think, our first event ever. Um, quite an ambitious one, but we did pull it off. And what we were doing there was on site taking material that had come maybe from the bars or from the um, from from the drinks. We'd shred it up manually and we'd get the participants to shred that into flakes. And then they themselves would take it over to the injection molder, which is a, a machine that melts and squeezes plastic into new shapes. And they would watch it being turned into these coasters, um, some of which you know they could then take away at the end of the day. So they'd sort of seen it go from something that they would have thrown in the bin. And suddenly they're going, oh, that's actually, actually quite like that. And that whole process brings people into you know that the wider system around plastic and around making things
1: you see i love the idea of the engagement in that as well and i also like the idea that it probably appeals to a very broad amount of people so tell me a little bit about how, how that works into the your plastic tactics again
3: yeah so it's as much about you know the making as any anything about you know waste or pollution which we don't really um focus on it's as much about you know how are things made and can I make things because that seems to be something that has been outsourced and, you know, we don't really have a sense of where things come from when we see them on on, on the shelf in a shop. Um, So this is really helping people to understand it uh, in a fun and engaging way that they can actually get their hands on. And some of the, you know, obviously there's health and safety elements to all of this that we're really careful about. Um, But as much as possible, we want people to be, doing this themselves and that's really where the value and the learning comes from is when people are experiencing it themselves. Arthur
1: why Liverpool why, what is it about being in this region then that, that means that plastic taxes are based here?
3: So Liverpool has a lot of social enterprises in it and I don't think that's by accident I think there's something in the the sort of shared values of of the community here and the people here that creates this sort of readiness this willingness to work together and that's really been the experience of even before Plastic Tactics and then moving into that sort of you know are we going to do this sort of phase and then into the sort of the amazing level of support that came later as it developed into a sort of clearer idea and when we were doing things the level of support and how readily we were accepted by people across a whole range of you know sectors it's not just limited to other social enterprises but um, the, you know the public and industry are really um, welcoming and supportive and you yeah, know I can't say that that wouldn't happen elsewhere but I can I can guarantee that it you know it has happened here and that's something that I really value
1: all that remains for me then Arthur is to say how can people f- keep following you and what you're doing at Plastic Tactics
3: yeah so there's plenty of ways to keep tabs on what we're doing we do try you know within our resources to to broadcast that's a big part of our philosophy is we we do in a very local way in a very small way and then we broadcast in a very global way in a very public way so with that in mind we are, you know we're active on most social media channels uh, so you'll, if you do a search for plastic tactics you'll you'll find us pretty easily Um, If you want to go to our website, you can sign up to our newsletter and that'll keep you in the loop for for things that are coming up, like the Plastic Play Group, which is due to resume in June, you know, COVID willing. Uh, And then the other other things that are going on as well.
1: So Arthur, give us that website address where people can follow you then.
3: So our website is plastictactics.com. So that's just a simple, you know, <laughs> ourname.com. Uh, and we're on social media in most places as Plastax, which is plastics with an A, P-L-A-S-T-A-C-S.
1: Arthur, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you and see some of your products. And I'm very, very excited about where you're gonna go in the future. So um, thank you very much for being part of this today.
3: Thank you very much for the opportunity. of have um, seen the other guests on the podcast and I'm, I'm in good company. Great stuff there from Arthur Rowland from Plastic Tactics.
0: And it's such a grassroots um, organisation, isn't it, uh, Mark? Based in the Fabric District. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on there. And I think it's fantastic that they're working with ordinary people, families and that. Neil's working with businesses, trying to get partners and businesses for changing streams. But Arthur is kind of at the other end of the spectrum, but nevertheless doing equally important work.
1: I mean, I think the important thing to remember about the kind of thing that Arthur does is, although it's very bespoke, um, he's, he's also got the, you know, his, his plastic play group, as he calls it, um, which is obviously work, working out of his workshop. But then he's got this fantastically ambitious plan to to actually put a permanent unit in the Pixon area, uh, which will be called the plastic playground, as he said. Uh, and that will be a much more permanent community-based thing. But... What I do admire about him as well is the idea that he can also work alongside existing businesses to help them to have a better understanding of plastics by running events and workshops as well. So he does cover quite a broad area, Mick, and I think it's a really important issue that he's he's trying to tackle.
0: Yeah, so do I, definitely, because... Um, we all, we're all all aware about the danger, well I'm saying we're all aware, most people seem to be aware, uh, aware thanks to the likes of David Attenborough about the, the actual devastation that microplastics can um, wreak on our oceans and our wildlife so we need to be doing stuff and, and, and let's face it we're not doing enough now I mean we're sitting in our studio here in the Baltic Triangle and most of the room is probably plastic. From the laptop here to the, you know, to every, everywhere, the, the desk that we're on has got a load of plastic on, the, the microphone you're holding, and this is all getting dumped. Um, and so the more we can do on a day to day level, as well as a sort of global level, the better, really, isn't it? You know?
1: Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, sometimes it's just a question of not knowing what plastics you can recycle. And, and how you can recycle them. And, and that's why I love what Arthur's doing, because it's it's, it's very much aimed at, at taking personal responsibility for the plastics that you've got and, and making your own personal products out of them. And I think with that level of engagement, it, it, it's a, that's that's probably how you, you start it off in, in the general community. It's that confidence to know what you can do with that plastic.
0: Yeah, and, and they need organisations like Plastic Tactics, need as much encouragement as possible and other hopefully hopefully other similar organizations will also set up um it is relevant actually to go back to baltic broadband limited who are are our main partners of the baltic triangle podcast because they generate their own renewable energy that powers their network hundred percent making them carbon free isp They recycle 100% of their waste, and most of their company vehicles are electric. So not only do they give fantastic rates for businesses for broadband, they do all that other stuff that increasingly more and more organisations do. So that's Baltic Broadband Limited. If you want to look them up, you're interested in what they do, you may be looking for your business to get a better broadband service, it's www.balticbroadband.com and we'll include the URL in our podcast notes.
1: More important than ever to support local businesses here on Merseyside, so do do go along and have a look at their website and see what they do. Fantastic products and fantastic service from them. Well, Mick, we're almost out of time, as ever. It seems to go really quickly. It's been an absolute pleasure, I might just say, to have 26 episodes under our belt sitting alongside you, sometimes obviously across the ether, but here we are again face-to-face, so uh, it's nice to see us finally looking like we might be coming out of our lockdown scenarios at last um i'm very much looking forward to sitting down and having a bite to eat with you and maybe uh, getting a pint some somewhere so um all that remains for me to say then mick is uh, do keep an eye out for plastic tactics and changing streams you know look out for both of those uh, organizations on social medias um, across all of the usual platforms um, some interesting stuff to be updated on from both of those so uh, that's just about it then, Mick, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is. Uh, the Changing Streams URL is www.changingstreams.org and we'll include it, obviously, as well in the programme notes. And if you've got any ideas about companies or organisations that you'd like us to feature in the Baltic Triangle podcast, the email address is...
1: It's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com. That's info at baltictrianglepodcast.com.
0: Okay, well, we'll see you next time. All the best.
1: Stay safe. See you soon.